You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. And my name is Claire Perini. Welcome back to the Regent Podcast. Today we had another conversation with a diverse group of people around the expression of Christianity and some of the um, particularities of culture and how that expresses itself in the way Christian faith is expressed. This was like a Global South reunion, which we don't like the term Global South, but yeah, you can say that. Yeah, well, I'm from the Global South as yeah, well, yeah. except I never get included in the Global yeah. South. But, so we had, we had um, Octavio here from Bolivia, we had Tuni, who's from Nagaland in India, we had Diane, who has spent a large part of her time in Kenya, and then we had Chris, who is from Nigeria, and me from the Global South yes. of Australia. We talked about different cultures being uh, oral cultures or cultures of the book and the difference that that makes in the way that church, things happen in church. We talked about authority and the way that that uh, plays itself out with decision making in the church and with respect and um, questions and so on. We talked about uh, the difference of a communal culture and how that uh, how that's different to, say, the Western culture of an individualism and consumerism. Um, and so it was just really interesting insights from these folks from different parts of the mm-hmm, world yeah. um, about how those aspects of their culture uh, inform their faith and as well as the things from this culture that perhaps could be helpful as they go and engage back in their own cultures. So just to recap, if you haven't listened to a podcast with Diane before, Diane is the Dean of Students here at Region and she's also the Associate Professor of Mission Studies and World Christianity. She spent a large part of her adult life working in theological education in Nairobi in Kenya. Tuni is uh, just finishing his THM here at Regent and uh, has done an MDiv in, in Nagaland before coming to Regent. Uh, and then Chris is studying his MA uh, here at Regent and as well has, is an Anglican uh, pastor in Nigeria. So a really diverse group of people with different backgrounds and an interesting conversation. So enjoy. Um, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself. Tell us uh, your name, where you're from, and what your experience uh, of church has been, maybe denominational background or what sort of church you were part of uh, in the place where you're from. So, Tuni, why don't you start? Hello, everyone. My name is Zutozo Tuni. I come from, from a state called Nagaland, which is in the northeast India. And I grew up in a Baptist church, um, and I worked as a worship leader in our youth group um, for some years. And then after my Master of Divinity, I I worked as a student's chaplain for for about four years. And now um, I'm doing my THM here at Regent. Uh, I just I just finished my my courses, my program here. And I'm working at Grace Vancouver Church, which is a Reformed Presbyterian Church, as the worship director. My name is Christian Obunike Okeke. I am from Nigeria. I am of the Igbo tribe in the southern part of Nigeria. I'm a minister of God, a clergyman in the Anglican communion. I gave my life to Christ in the year 1997, and I answered the call to the ministry in the year 2000. I served the church as a lay pastor for eight years and um, as an ordained pastor for 11 years. 
Um, so I was ordained in 2008. I'm a missionary priest. I've been involved in planting of churches locally and internationally. Good. Well, here we are in a very diverse place, uh, thinking of Regent College with students from all over the world, um, bringing the richness of their experience from home, and then living in a cosmopolitan place like Vancouver, which in itself, uh, you know, has remarkable diversity. So this morning we want to talk about what have you learned about your culture as a result of being in cross-cultural relationships, either here at Regent or in the wider context here in Vancouver? I find that each culture has um, the good side and the bad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and talking of my culture, reading is not very common for for the for the general in public, uh, a lot of people don't read, and so you know, talking about the book, you know, have you heard of this book or have you read it or you know, so discussions on you know conversations about the book is um, so mm. it's a minimal, and people hardly talk about you know reading books. But mm. here, you know, talking talking about a movie or a novel is uh, you know or a theological book or something about a book a scholar this you know academic conversations are very normal very very much part of part of the normal life and and that's something something wonderful about about uh, here as well mm-hmm. yeah but in terms of uh, community I think that our our community uh, the culture that I'm from uh, the communal feeling is very strong it's, mm. it's a lot stronger than here yeah, but maybe I'll explain more later. <laughs> I think I could echo that from Kenya as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised when, when I first went out, and that was you know a good few decades ago, but uh, I found too that at the end of their school years, students would actually burn their books. And by and large, um, the only thing that people generally read, again, it's changing and a huge generalization, but the two things that people do read are the Bible and the newspaper. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, uh, it's it's not particularly a reading culture either. Historically, they've been an, a, a largely oral culture, and so yeah. they would much rather converse, listen to radio, uh, take things in orally than uh, by reading. Reading is hard work. Yeah, and the the communal orientation as well. So, I can certainly echo both of those uh, aspects from from what I've seen in Kenya. Yeah, I come from a culture that is more open, more communal, more social, mm-hmm. and um, but not too polite. <laughs> in what? In what sense? <laughs> in our aspect. <laughs> Yeah, when we are when we feel angry, we, you know that we are angry. Uh-huh. When we feel bad, you know that we are bad. Mm. When we want to tell you that you are wrong, uh-huh. we tell you directly. And uh, that that is African culture for uh-huh. you. Uh, yeah. Let me say that's West African culture. <laughs> West African culture. East Africans are far more reserved, like oh. even even more yeah. so than than uh, Canadians. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if Canadians are considered, you know, kind of reserved somewhere between British and Americans, we would be more direct than, um, 
say Kenyans, Tanzanians, Ugandans, yeah. they're they're even more polite than we are, and they will not speak yeah. directly. Um, they'll speak what we would say around the bush, mm. and they'll circle the issue, but they won't come out and actually say it directly yeah. unless you unless you know them very very well, or it takes a lot of time and many cups of tea. And then eventually they will come to what the actual issue is. But yeah. you can see the differences between yeah. West and, yeah. and Eastern Africa. Yeah. Which actually, th- thank you for saying that, because we have to break the idea in our minds that Africa is a continent, it's not a country. For sure. Right? Exactly. Sometimes like, yeah, Africans do this. It's right. like, what do you mean Africa? It's like, you know how many countries you have in Africa? Exactly. The, the same happens with South America. It's like, yeah, Latinos are this and they do this. Which is like, are you kidding me? You're talking about like, you know, how many countries? So, so I love the fact that, mm. that you 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 do mark that yeah, difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just and Australia and New Zealand are two different countries as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> same here. Yes. You know, yes. they say yeah. that's that's a very Asian thing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Then, yeah. Wow, it's like, not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not that we are not, we don't have people that are polite, but I'm talking in terms of a typical West mm. African mm-hmm. way. Um, there are because of the influence of civilization and Western education. Mm-hmm. There are some West Africans that are polite, mm-hmm. just like you said. Expect, but you find them among the learned, the enlightened mm-hmm. people that are diplomatic in issues. Mm-hmm. They are not direct. We have a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But the typical African, undiluted culture, <laughs> is to present it. I mean, West Africa, if right. I, yeah, West, yeah, it's presented the way it is, yeah. Um, but I might want to yeah, distinguish between being polite and being forthright, because yeah. I think people who are direct and forthright aren't necessarily rude. It's it's yeah. styles of communication. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, because to us, we don't see it as a problem. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not. It's part of us. We don't see it as even the person that is being confronted, who see it as. A lifestyle uh-huh. is one of those things. Mm. Yeah. Originally, we are not uh, my culture. I wouldn't say that we, are, we have a reading culture. Mm. Or I wouldn't say that we are not that people of the book, mm-hmm. if I would say. Um, because the reason is that we, are, we believed in oral tradition. Mm-hmm. It's part of our heritage. Mm-hmm. They, they will prefer just talk to me, mm-hmm. tell me those things instead of reading it. Mm-hmm. So reading is a discipline. Yeah. You have to imbibe the discipline. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And in my culture, and I actually want to engage in this, one of the things that's, that's different from here is the way you view your authority being being that i mean not just the president or whatever it's the professor talking about the pastor talking about the leader talking about the the co-pastor or the or the worship leader the way he's viewed is i think it's different from here for example here in a class you were invited at regent to to engage with the professor to disagree with the professor to have a conversation with the professor Back there, we'll be, we'll be like, I mean, I would disagree with you, but I, I won't say it to your face. Like, like no way I would like, because like, I, I am the, the least uh, qualified to, or your authority over me, right? I mean, I, I will disagree in my mind, in my heart, but I wouldn't normally won't say it. Even if you're inviting me to say it, people will be like, 
yeah, thank you for being so open. But I don't like n- normally there'll be like a silence. It wouldn't be everywhere, but I think I think that would be kind of the normal thing, even for 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 the way uh, the church relates to the pastor. I, I find that here people would approach the pastor and say he was wrong here, he was wrong there, and we have a conversation, and the pastor would be like, "Oh, great, yeah, well, thank you for saying that." But over there, the way it, it's it's dealt with is like uh, sometimes even if somebody goes to to approach a pastor and tell him, uh, "I don't I don't agree with this or that," most likely they would get offended or disrespected, right? In a, in a way, unless it's somebody very close. Of course, I'm I'm really generalizing. But but that is, that is a difference that I found it, and I've actually spoken with some fellow region students from Malaysia, from Singapore, and they actually feel that way as well. The way Westerners or Canadians or people from the U.S. interact with the professor, and in front of everybody, kind of quote unquote challenge what what the professor said, you'll be like, ooh, he he challenged him in front of everybody, ooh, so it's. And there's no disrespect there at all. It's like the the professor expecting that to happen, right? But in Bolivia, it'll be like, Ooh, right, <laughs> the tension. And I, I've actually felt some tension from from other like I was saying some Malaysian Malaysian and, and friends from Singapore as well. And that would be like, you don't do that, like not in front of everybody, you don't, or the pastor. So how, how do you guys feel about that? I can resonate with that as well. Yeah, yeah. You don't say it straight away to your professor or. Uh, I think there is a there's a hierarchy, you know, hierarchical understanding of mm. being a student and professor. Mm. And it was really hard for me to um, call my professors by by their names, yes. by the first name. <laughs> yes. That was that was one of the hardest thing that I first had to encounter when I first came here, because uh, Professor Don Luis is my landlord, mm-hmm. and so your landlord, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, you, know, you better respect him, right? So you know, I call him sir, and. He, and professor and uh-huh. and he felt awkward. He yeah. said, "Just call me Don." You know, like and that was really hard for me. But now I'm getting used to it, mm. and and actually I enjoy making friends with with professors now. And uh, Professor Jonathan Wilson Wilson is also one of the professors mm. that we love to you know go to go to Granville Island and 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 study together. And mm-hmm. and we we are professors and and I mean he's my professor and I don't lose any respect for him but but we are friends as well we are mm-hmm. we're great buddies and and i like this kind of friendship that the teacher is able to yeah. have uh friendship with the students and yeah. and i think this is this is beautiful and this is one thing that my culture also has to learn from yeah you know w- without losing the respect of of the professor yeah yeah, yeah same with my me i think that's a one one area of difference between my culture and the Canadian culture, yeah, because um, the idea is because we are we our culture is built on hierarchy. Mm-hmm. We believe in hierarchy system, so there is this respect for elders, yeah, respect for those that are above you in authority, yeah. Just like you said, in 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 the school in academic field, you don't address your professors by their first name mm-hmm. yeah you address them by their title so it's i also had the same experience when i came here it was difficult for me mm-hmm. it took me time mm-hmm. to start calling them by their first names yeah, yeah. even now when i do that i feel I, am i being disrespectful mm-hmm. yeah the 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 dynamics there is that 
even while you address them by their first name, the respect is still there. Yeah, yeah. Still re- retain the respect. There is something about the African, if you can, as you say, maintain the respect without the the classism and hierarchy. Yeah. Um, I think to me that's that's one of the things I appreciated there is um, when they could accord respect but in a friendly way. So, for example, um, one of the things I like about out there being single um, and with family being so important, everyone calls you auntie. And to me, you're not a biological aunt, Uh but it's a title of respect from children and younger people that there's a warmth. You you hear the kinship and the Mm. bonds, the intimacy coming out, and you feel respected, but you feel included because auntie is, you know, somebody who's part of the family who really matters. Or another is um, uh, when I did adopt my daughter, um, no longer was I Diane or auntie. um, I was Mama Zawadi. And there's something really um, can be, it, that has its dangers too, but it can be really beautiful um, to, to be just known as the, as the mother of your child as well. So yeah. I think all of those things combined, I appreciate the respect, but uh, don't like the hierarchy and the, the classism that can often go with that. I remember when I, was, when I was addressing the president of Regen, Jeff Greenman, instead of like, Mr. Greenman, I was like, Jeff, it felt like, you know... When you're a kid and you and you curse for the first time, it feels weird. Like, <laughs> like, what did I just say? <laughs> I, I, it feels wrong, right? It's like cursing for the, saying the f word for the first time. Like, did I just say that? Right? It's just weird. Yeah. Australians are really e- well, technically egalitarian. So, well, that's not totally true. But Australians cut down anyone that's in authority. So. There's a thing called the tall poppy syndrome. So anyone that rises, uh, any flower that rises up taller than any of the others, you cut them down. And so that whole idea of respect is is a really interesting one in Australia because it's politicians don't have respect, leaders generally don't have respect, really in some ways. Um, so it's really it's it's always and so the whole first name thing feels totally normal to me. In fact, I'd feel weird saying professor because it's like. You're no more important than me. You know, that's kind of, that's my, you know, we're just as important as each other. Yeah, that egalitarian doesn't always make it work itself out in the church necessarily. But uh, anyway, that's just an interesting, yeah, that's a, yeah, Australians are a whole other beast. As we return to thinking about church life, um, is there anything that you've learned about the way that you do church back in your country as a result of being in contact with other churches and other Christians here in Canada, what are some of the differences that you found, say, in, in your experience of church life? Um, yeah, I was, there are a lot of experiences, and I don't know where to start, but I have to start from somewhere. <laughs> um, I have an Anglican background, and you know that Anglican church is not an African indigenous church. So, there is an integration of Western culture and African culture within the Anglican church. And um, so, we are partly Western and partly partly African. One of the things I like about it is, uh, as an Anglican church, uh, someone who had that orientation, who grew up, served 
and the Anglican Church is that um, one thing is that Anglican Church is uh, is apostolic in nature. It is Catholic. It is evangelical. It is Pentecostal. It is charismatic. <laughs> so yeah, you have all this embedded in the church. It is we call it their media. It is at the center. It takes. It is not at the extreme. It is not at extreme extreme Roman Roman Catholicism or extreme Pentecostalism, but it tries to garnish all this, put them together. That is the the good, the strength, the positive side of it. That has really helped me in my cultural context because it help it helps us to relate to the local people in their own world in their own context. In my context, in as much as we are Anglicans, um, naturally, going by Anglican tradition, our tradition would have been a Western lethargy. But because of the nature, because we are open to Pentecostalism, charismatic, uh, yeah, we try to adapt openness to spiritual matters mm-hmm. which on the other hand make the, the, the local people to embrace the church because you address them in their context. Mm-hmm. You, you have to go outside the tradition in order to meet the need of the people. Mm-hmm. That is my experience. So in my, throughout this time of my Ministry, I try to combine all these things I mentioned. When it comes to evangelism, reaching out, I am more Pentecostal. I am more charismatic. There are rooms for healings, deliverance, prayers, all sort of prayers. There are rooms for spiritual issues, uh, emphasizing on spirituality. Then when it comes to discipline, we go back to Anglican tenets and the traditions. Yeah, so I try to combine them when it comes to issues, uh, topical issues like marriages, um, sacramental issues, we try to follow the tradition. The things that I liked about Regent here... uh, is the the inclusivism uh, and attitude that we have, mm-hmm. where you know professors you know, don't share the same convictions. Um, they are from denominational, you know, different denominational backgrounds, but we all come together and, and worship together in chapel, and, and that's beautiful. And we don't have any issues with uh, with denominational differences. Um, uh. I don't know if I'm allowed to say on the 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 negative the challenges. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, also, looking at my experience in the church from my context, and uh, we also have our own challenges. Um, one of them, which is the basic, is the structure of the church. It is structured in such a way that. 
the spiritual head don't have the sole authority to make decisions. It is good, but it has some adverse adverse effects. We have for a major decision to be made in my church, there is a synod, and this synod is made up of the house of bishops, the house of clergy, and the house of laity. They must come together in agreement in order to make a major decision. So the bishop, the bishop may have a good intention, but he may lack the power, the absolute power, to say this is what I want, this is how I want it to be. It has to be taken to the synod for a consensus agreement. I think that that's where we have... So that's making us to have problem in crisis management. So that system has made it difficult for the Anglican Church to manage some crisis. Mm. So, yeah, one thing that I see here is that um, a lot of us here, uh, people are the individual self, you know, uh, that kind of you know, consumerism attitude uh, is what we find even mm. in the church. Well, you know, you go to a church, you know, you try out a church. You know, you do church shopping, and if it doesn't work for you, then you you leave the church and you find another church. But back home, you know, when I mention my name, that my name is Zutoto Tuni, mm-hmm. then people can trace out which which indigenous group I am from mm-hmm. and which region I'm from. Mm. And so there is this um, strong uh, s- social capital that. Mm. That this community feeling is so strong mm. that that this mm, consumerism attitude is seldom seen in our in our mm. culture. So churches are strong. Most churches are strong mm. uh, because nobody lives in isolation, and people are concerned and they are involved in the lives of the neighbors for the common flourishing. Mm. So it's it's hard to be to be in iso- you know to be isolated. And so that's one good thing about uh, about our our churches oh, yeah. back home, yeah. But the same strength, uh, the same th- good thing, can also be a barrier where you are you are defined by your indigenous group, you are you are defined by your linguistic, mm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this uh, diversity, mm-hmm. and you want to maintain that. And so it's hard to break that and come together and worship. So yeah. the same strength, which is building the community, which is, which is creating life and for the common flourishing, can, can at the same time be a barrier as well. And so th- this is one, one thing that we had been, we'd been mm-hmm. um, trying to think over in, and over again. As in, my, in my context, people move from one church to the other based on conviction and the meeting of their needs. Yeah, um, I, and that is and that is one of the things I would also like to talk about: the success. What what makes ministry to succeed in my own context? Mm-hmm. So when when you feel that you are not getting what you want, or you are, that this church is not meeting your spiritual need and aspiration, 
you can say you can look for another church that can satisfy feed your spiritual mm. man yeah and that is why in my context every pastor must have to be spiritually strong for you to retain your congregation mm-hmm. you must especially especially in these days in these modern days yeah in the past when we don't have this upsurge or a, a, a great great uh, yeah, a great uh, eruption of Pentecostalism. Uh-huh. Yeah, in those days, you that you all, that you only had um, the Roman, the missionary churches. There are this idea of authority, obeying authority, trying to. But now, there is a kind of openness. Yeah, a lot of so, options now, right? Actions. Yeah. So if and that is why. The missionary churches, which I am part of, mm-hmm. had to sit up. If not, you stand to lose your congregations. Yeah. And my my experience, personal experience, is not because I'm an Anglican, but it's on individual basis. Mm-hmm. My experience being a Pente- let me say being a charismatic Anglican priest mm-hmm. has really helped me mm. to build my churches, all the parishes I have pastored. Because what they are looking for out, out there, you have it here. So why are you going out? Mm-hmm. So rather, other people from other denominations are coming. Mm-hmm. We are gaining more membership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the nature. How, how I have, I have um, developed or built the church. Yeah. So um, the success of ministry in my cultural setting from West African perspective, from Nigerian perspective, or probably from Africa, mm-hmm. is, is anchored, the success is anchored on two major things. One is spirituality. Then second is charity. These are the two major things the congregations are looking for. Mm-hmm. In, in African churches the spirituality and when I talk of spirituality I mean the manifestation of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. miracles mm-hmm. miracles of salvation miracles of healing deliverance you know encountering Christ in different ways mm-hmm. people, people need action secondly is charity or humanitarian services because, because a lot of people are suffering, they want their, their material needs to be met. They need a caring church, a church that will care for them, feed them, give them money, provide shelter. Mm-hmm. And that is, I don't think Anglican church is so good at that, but we are, we are trying to... to adopt that method. I think I must commend the, the, the Pentecostals. They are better than us in that as, in humanitarian aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
they, 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 they do a lot of social works. Mm-hmm. Even the Roman Catholics. Yeah, but the Anglican Church, we have, they, we, they have started it. They are doing it now mm-hmm. as a way of, you know, evangelism. So these two things will, will determine the success of your ministry, the spirituality, and the, how you are able to care mm-hmm. for the um, material needs, physical needs of the people. So spirituality and charity, mm-hmm. it matters a lot. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things um, that I've appreciated so much about worship in Nairobi, particularly at this uh, church, Nairobi Chapel, is I've, I've been impressed by the sheer, I think in a word, the sheer vitality of Christian expression in, in Nairobi and in, and in Africa. Um, there's something about the whole person engagement in, in worship and in teaching. So, um, you know, they just enter in much more emotionally, even physically. I mean, they can't stand still. They're, they're just wired to dance when they're there to celebrate. And uh, so for me as a Canadian, sometimes you go to church and you're either lukewarm or faint-hearted, um, and you can't help but get caught into the whole experience of worship and the degree of reverence that they express, the passion in prayer. It is a celebration, but there's very deep, profound confession as well as you're invited into uh, the very presence of God and very deep, practical, pragmatic teaching. And so uh, we have a pastor who will address a lot of issues that aren't necessarily being addressed elsewhere. Um, Examples come to mind. He did um, a series back in the 90s called Broken Vows. And in a culture where you didn't talk about things like uh, incest or rape or uh, HIV and AIDS, you know, just a lot of the social issues that were taking place. He was nailing, you know, week after week, broken promises. And each week he would have interviewed either live if possible, or I remember one time um, he had recorded it in advance and, you know, um, disguised the voice, but it was a woman in our congregation speaking about her own experience of rape. And you could hardly, um, you could hardly, you know, see a, a dry eye in the whole place because he was just talking about issues of domestic violence against women that are just at the time were not being spoken, certainly not by men, and certainly or most men, and certainly not in the churches. So he was really tackling um, biblically a number of the keynote issues. Another thing struck me when we were back visiting two years ago, he was preaching on, I've heard him preach often on, you know, financial stewardship before, which is a critical, critical need in a place like Kenya where there aren't our social systems and and things. Um, He was speaking biblically about the wisdom of preparing wills. And it's like, I've never heard anybody in in Africa, Mm. but he's got this young, vibrant uh, congregation. Um, And so it's the integration of uh, Christian witness and celebration and teaching the God of Revelation, and yet also speaking to the absolute contemporary realities um, in our midst. So on the one hand, I would say, yes, that's a distinguishing mark of African Christianity in general is just the vitality of their worship and of their experience of the Christian faith. Um, it's, it's embodied, it's whole-personed, 
affective, emotional, uh, in in every way. But then the other challenge, of course, um, not for my own church itself per se, but for African Christianity more broadly, is the the danger of all of this exuberant expression on Sunday by masses of people. That's another thing to notice, by the way. There are traffic jams in Nairobi on Sunday morning because people are going to church. You don't see traffic jams here in, in Vancouver. I've got a long commute um, this this year, uh, renting down in, in Tawasin. And Sunday's the one morning I don't mind driving in because you know that there's no traffic. You can get through the bridge, no problem. But it's the reverse in Kenya. You have to make sure that you leave enough time or you know you're going to face a traffic jam and even parking to get into church. You've got to leave time just because of the sheer, <laughs> so uh, the presence. Um, but then, as I was starting to say, the downside of that is what happens to all of that exuberant expression on Monday to Friday or Saturday. And so we have this critical issue, um, whether it's Kenya or beyond in Sub-Saharan Africa, of widespread profession of the Christian faith, and yet issues in society that uh, can't help but make you question the depth of faith, the integrity of faith. Um, when you see the supposed statistics of Christians, you know, 70%, 80% in some of these countries, and yet some of the highest levels of corruption, when you witness, for example, the post-election violence um, in, in Kenya, and you can't conceive of a country filled with so many Christians just exploding in violence the way that it did. Um, or, of course, the um, epitome of this is Rwanda, 90-plus percent Christian, and yet descending into that demonic violence of genocide. And so those are some of the things. We, we have this full-bodied, intense, passionate worship and commitment, and yet uh, really called into question by some of the other realities as well. So it's complex. Mm. Uh, I would also like to talk a little about um, what both culture has to learn from each other. My ch the church from my cultural setting and the church here in Vancouver or in Canada. And um, from here, I think the culture here, the church here, f has to learn from my own culture the spirituality, vibrant, viable spirituality. Then from my own context, I think what we have to learn from the Western culture or Canadian culture and the church is the discipline, discipline and orderliness in everything we do. When you say you are coming to church by 8 o'clock, let it be 8 o'clock. That's an example. Don't make it Afri African time. <laughs> Don't make it 9 o'clock. Oh. When you say you are dismissing this church by 12 o'clock, dismiss them by 12 o'clock. You know, being ordered, living an ordered life and being disciplined, mm. I think is a problem for us. And we have to, it's a good thing which we have to learn from the West. Yeah, and secondly, academic discipline, scholarship, it is also good. In as much as we, 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 we are good in reading the Bible, you can see someone who is, who, who is, doesn't like reading other books, but he knows the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Mm -hmm. 
He has authority over the Bible. But when it comes to other academic field, you know, he will be having problems. So we have we also have to imbibe that academic discipline of the West for our own benefit. We don't have much scholars who who wrestles with uh, Greek or Hebrew in original texts, and so you know we what we have is true you know the Western you know uh, commentaries, and so uh, we have very 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 less scholars who who really engages with the primary text. Uh, so that's one 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 struggle for us. Yes, um, and I think one one thing that the church uh, here in the West can also learn from our culture is also uh, how the scripture applies communally. Right, not what the scripture applies to me. Of course, that's that's important as well. But how does the scripture apply communally? Uh, I think that's. That's one, one thing that um, the West has also been focusing a lot lately. Uh, but I think there are also still uh, a lot of ways to think that uh, on a on a deeper level. I should say. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful, and that kind of leads me to I think maybe my our last question. In the West, we have this epidemic of loneliness. In the UK, they've appointed a minister for loneliness. Vancouver's a lonely city. Um, and yet there's an extent to which what you've been talking about is this communal uh, commun- in, in the Indian context and in the African context. What do you, what do you think um, your kind of culture and as well as your church could sort of say or could what, to that this idea of loneliness and kind of a, a more communal way of understanding ourselves as Christians and ourselves as human beings? I think the church itself is a communal organization. The, 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 the Western culture or the Canadian culture, as I have experienced it, is highly individualistic in contrast with my own culture, which is more open to communalism. So, the, and that is one of the um, uh, duties. It is the duty of the church here in the West to take the lead in relationship, relating to people, communal living. Mm. You don't just go to church as a corporate thing. You go to church and come back and go back to your shelf and live your life. When you go to church, carry, the church should carry it out to the society, to the greater society. Learn to be communal, relate with each other. And by doing that, they will inspire life and light into the community. Mm. So I think it is the church that will take the lead to inspire the community, Mm. the society. Before coming to this place, I've been hearing of depression. I don't, I haven't, you know, to me it's not a big deal until I came here. And you see, as, as people are isolated, no one to talk to, and so you see them passing through a lot without a healer. So, mm-hmm. the, but the church should emphasize on that. Mm-hmm. And we are meant to be communal. We are relational beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one, one 
but I, it is not as simple as you know one can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are layers you know yeah. build, building up for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one thing is also because a lot of people move you know here in here in Vancouver, right? So you know after three years you know somebody moves out and then somebody fills in, and so when uh, when when a new person comes into the neighborhood, you know he doesn't know people, mm-hmm. and he he doesn't have his his community, he doesn't have his you know. Uh, families or, or, you know, his own, in, you know, ethnic groups that he can relate with, and so that's that's a struggle as well, and and the church, um, also is not aware who is moving and who is mm-hmm. who's going as well, and so it's hard for for the church as well to reach out and to, you know, to trace those out and and reach out to them, mm-hmm. right? So, it's not it's not simple, mm-hmm. it's not simple. It's it's deep. It's hard, but uh, I feel that uh, it is important in, in a small way uh, to 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 take the gospel out. Um, and <coughs> uh, we have this assumption of that oh, oh, it's a very individualistic society, and people don't want to hear the gospel. You know, uh, we are sensitive to to in others' privacy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there is there are ways to do that to not you know, interfere in their privacy and yet um, find ways to reach out to them and I don't know, I don't know exactly how how that's going to be yeah. done but there has to be ways yeah. for that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I think one of the ways is understanding the culture of the people yeah then approach them in the context of their culture I will not preach the gospel here the way I will not present the gospel here the way I present it to Africa because I have known the culture of the people. Yet, I'll be saying this is the same message, mm. but the approach differs. The, the packaging mm-hmm. can differs. Yeah. Friends, our time has gone, is gone, has gone. Thanks for your insights, and um, yeah, thanks for a good conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>